0: Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. cool all right this is our last week in deuteronomy for now we'll we'll look at more next year and i think it's been a cracker series Um, i've learned so much about how to love god and how god has loved us and how trustworthy our god is and tonight we're going to look at promises you need to carefully understand a promise so imagine if on monday just passed a boss said to all of their staff if we can lock in the new client's I'll give all the staff a 10% pay rise in the new financial year. One employee only hears the end of that sentence, 10% pay rise in the new financial year. So they go home, they go to the shops, they buy all new furniture for their house, and then Monday, tomorrow, they come into the office, they knock on their boss's door, they burst in, and they say, I'm ready for my pay rise. And the boss looks really sad, looks defeated, says, I'm really sorry, I want to give it to you, but we didn't lock in that client, so we can't afford... A pay rise. The employee's like, well, what's this about a new client? You promised a pay rise. I've already spent the money. Now what's going on in this fictional situation I created that's probably actually fairly accurate? Uh, the employee didn't carefully understand the promise and it leads to three D's. It leads him to be disappointed and feel let down by his boss, but he acted on a promise that his boss never made to him. It leads him to be dissatisfied What he had from his boss was not enough anymore. If you're offered more pay, what you currently get is not good enough anymore. And it leads him to be disrespectful. It's a good boss who's willing to share the profits. Obviously, he's disappointed he couldn't offer more to the staff. And it's disrespectful to ignore that fact. And tonight, we're going to see in Deuteronomy what God promises us. What blessings can we expect from God? And it's actually a bit of a minefield. Because on one side, there's many Christians who believe that God promises us health and wealth and the desires of our heart and endless blessing now. And they're disappointed when God doesn't deliver. And they doubt if God is good. On the other side, there's Christians who are dissatisfied with what God does give us because we want more or we want something different. And both of those things disrespect God. The key is to carefully see what God actually promises us. And can I say, if you're here, wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're exploring who Jesus is, you're going to see the absurd generosity of God tonight that is on offer to you if you trust in Jesus. Why don't I pray and ask God to help us as we navigate this. Let's pray. Father God, please help us as we navigate this minefield. Help us to carefully understand what your word says so that we can live in light of it and live in response to it and see your absurd generosity to us. Amen. We'll start with ancient Israel. Here's what God promises them. He promises them physical blessings if they obey God. So grab your Bible, have a look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. Come over to verse 10. Deuteronomy 11 verse 10. Moses says, "...the land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot, as in a vegetable garden." But the land you're crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks rain from heaven. It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. So if you faithfully obey the commands I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season. Both autumn and spring rain, so that you may gather in your corn new wine and olive oil. I'll provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. So he's saying if they obey God, he'll give them rain, so they don't have to water their food by foot like in a veggie garden, which must be a big relief. No more foot veggies going on for them. Uh, what's he talking about? He's talking about the difference between Egypt and Israel. Egypt is a desert. Egypt has almost no rain. All the water comes from the Nile River. The rest of it is desert. And so you'd have to carry water by foot to your veggies so that they would grow. But ancient Israel is more like Wollongong. It's God's country. It it rains all year. It's going nuts out there. God blesses the. it's, It's easy to grow things in a place like Wollongong, just like it was in ancient Israel. It rains all year if God gives rain and that's what he says he promises them the physical blessing of rain if they obey god and physical curses if they disobey god so have a look at verse 16 be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and He will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. That's the thing. Physical blessing if they obey, physical curse if they disobey. And actually, this is all through Deuteronomy. This has come up a few times already in what we've seen. Let me give you just two snapshots, chapter 5 and chapter 7. Moses says, Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land you will possess. Or chapter 7 If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you, as he swore to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine, and olive oil, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you. You will be blessed more than any other people. None of your men or women will be childless, nor will any of your livestock be without young. Here's the blessings again. Have a look here, actually, in verse 26. This is kind of the summary of it all. Verse 26. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God. And turn from the way that I command you today by following other gods which you have not known. You see, it's, it's this. It's the promise of blessings for obeying and curses for disobeying. And can you see, they're both physical Your food, rain, kids, these are the kind of things you can hold in your hands. And there are also now blessings and curses. It's about enjoying life now in the promised land. But the high point of all God's blessings in the Old Testament is Him. Here's a promise that He makes to Abraham about these people, ancient Israel, as they go into the promised land. This is what He says to their forefather, He says, The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. The best blessing God gives is God, a relationship with God. And actually, that's the foundation of all God's blessings. It comes to them because God has chosen them to be his people. Uh, There's a common idea that Israel keep the law to be saved. I think my slides just died, Kelsey. I think I'm over to you. Uh, There's a common idea that Israel keep the law to be saved. Uh, But that's not right. It's a common misunderstanding that in the New Testament, God saves us. But in the Old Testament, we keep the law to be saved. But that's not true because Israel are already God-saved people when Moses gives them the law. Jump to the next slide. They're already God's saved people. So the law is not how you become God's people. It's how you live as God's people. It's how you love God. And it's actually the same for us. A slightly different law. Check out Salt Weekly for an article that I wrote about this, what I think Christians should do with the Old Testament law. But God's promises to them is that if they love Him, if they show they love Him by keeping the law, He will bless them. If they show that they hate God by rejecting the law, He will curse them. And the result is you would look at an Israelite and you could tell if they were obeying God or not. It's a little bit like this. Here's a prop I prepared earlier. Uh, This is good food, isn't it? It's kind of like God says, I will give this to the one who obeys me. And so if I go and give this to Elisha, you would look at Elisha and you would go, obviously Elisha's obeying God. She's got the chocolate. She's got the sign of it. I actually need that back. <laughs> and similarly, God says, I'll give this, the most disgusting substance known to mankind. I will give this to the one who doesn't obey me. And Steve's looking over there. Here you go, Steve. You can keep that one. No, I actually need that back. My kids like it. Uh, so you, you'd you look at Steve and you go, obviously, he's disobeying God. And he's trying to swap. <laughs> Obviously, disobeying God, he's got the. It's obvious. You can see it. That's what's going on. And this is actually what Job's friends do. I'll grab those back up you. This is what Job's friends do. Do you remember Job? Uh, he obeys God, so he's massively blessed by God. But Satan argues with God, and he says, Job only loves you because of all the blessings. Job only loves you for your stuff. If you take your stuff away, he won't love you anymore, he won't follow you. And to prove a point, to prove that God is enough to satisfy, God lets Satan take Job's blessings away. And listen to what his friends say. His friends say to Job, But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. If you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse, God will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your prosperous state. Basically, they're saying to Job, you had the blessings, now you've got the curses. The only possible explanation is that you've disobeyed God. With friends like that, who needs enemies? But that's what Deuteronomy is saying. That's the logic of Deuteronomy. And it sounds really similar to something called the prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel is the idea that if you obey God and you have enough faith, God will bless you now with health and wealth and happiness. And it is kind of what Deuteronomy is saying. Have a look at another passage. Come over to Jeremiah chapter 29. Come with me, Jeremiah chapter 29. Look this one up. Jeremiah 29 verse 11. God says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. It's this beautiful promise from God. And it seems like it's saying, to get what God has for you, you only need to trust Him and claim it. And if you don't get it, well, the problem is you. It's your faith and your obedience. That's the prosperity gospel. And can you see, it doesn't come from nowhere. It's in the Bible. But like that employee with their boss... We need to carefully understand God's promises or we'll be disappointed when God doesn't deliver on what He never promised to give us, and we'll be dissatisfied with what God has given because we want more or different, and we'll be disrespectful to God to be disappointed and dissatisfied in Him. There are actually some big mistakes that Job's friends and the Prosperity Gospel make that lead to those three Ds. And the first problem is ripping this text out of context. So, have a look back in verse 10, Jeremiah 29, verse 10. Here's the context. This is what the Lord says When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is given to a specific people, place, and time. It's given to ancient Israel after they failed to obey God, after all those curses from God fell on them. They're driven out of the land to Babylon, and from there, God promises to bring them back after 70 years. God promises to show them rich, undeserved love. It's an amazing promise that God makes here, but it's not our promise Because we are not ancient Israel living in Babylon in the 8th century. We come in at the end of the Bible story, not at the start of the Bible story. And it's dangerous to read the start of the story as if it's the end. The other problem is that there's more going on in God's plans than a straight line from obeying to blessing. Job's friends don't see the whole picture. There's this spiritual battle that's going on. And people are persecuted because they're godly. So remember Daniel? Daniel in Babylon... He experiences extreme persecution because he's godly and he stands for God. But the biggest problem with seeing God's promises as a straight line from obedience to blessing is that God is generous to everyone. This is how Jesus puts it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And all this shows us there's more going on in God's plans because God is free to give his gifts to whoever he wants. God can choose who he gives his gifts to. And this is a challenge in our culture, I think, because our culture is very entitled. Uh, In our culture, you get a prize for participating. Uh, It used to be the case. That when you went in a race at school, there was a first and a second and a third ribbon, and that was it. Now they give out 10 ribbons to everybody who competes in the race. In our culture, you get a prize just for turning up. We're a very entitled culture. And so we can bring that attitude with us to God. But God doesn't owe us anything. God doesn't owe ancient Israel anything. We have no right for God to save us, no right for God to bless us. But yet He does. He does. If you've still got Jeremiah 29 in front of you, it shows God's heart to, to give this rich, undeserved love. And God has the same heart to Christians. He has the same heart to anyone who will trust in Jesus. But he shows it to us now in a very different way. Israel experienced God's curses and then they were blessed. But for us, Jesus was cursed so that we'd be blessed ancient israel was cursed then blessed but for us jesus was cursed so we'd be blessed come to another passage galatians chapter 3 galatians chapter 3 new testament verse 13 galatians 3 verse 13 look this one up too. galatians 3 verse 13 here's what it says christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. There's lots of ideas here, but the gist is dying on a cross, dying on a tree, dying on a pole, death by crucifixion is a sign of being cursed by God. And that's what happens to Jesus. Jesus took the curse of God to give us the blessings of God. All the curses God promised to ancient Israel if they disobeyed God fell on Jesus. And it's the same for us who trust in Jesus now. The curse of God fell on Him and not on us. And that happened not because we're entitled to it, not because we deserve it, we deserve to be blessed. It's the rich undeserved love of God that Jesus was cursed so we'd be blessed and that's how God shows the same Jeremiah 29 love to us the same heart but in a different way and then God gives us different promises God gives us every spiritual blessing last passage come over to Ephesians should be a page or two in your Bible Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 listen to this Ephesians 1 verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And on he goes, just this long, long list of all the spiritual blessings that Christians have. And notice some differences between us and ancient Israel. Some of ancient Israel were blessed. But notice what it says in verse 3. All of us have every spiritual blessing. Every Christian has every spiritual blessing. Which means if you've trusted in Jesus, you're not missing out on anything. There is no upgraded Christian with second blessings from God. All Christians have every spiritual blessing. Plus another difference, Israel's blessings were physical, ours are spiritual. What does that mean? What are spiritual blessings? I think it's captured really well in a song by a, a kid's songwriter, Colin Buchanan. He writes this song, Big Words That End in Shun. Let me show you a few, verse, a few lines from it. He says, big words that end in shun show us what the Lord has done. Revelation, God shows himself to us. Substitution, Jesus takes our place. Salvation, Sinners saved from hell. Propitiation. God's anger turned away. Justification. Just like we never sinned. Imputation. Jesus' righteousness is mine. There's six shun words of about 50 that are in the Bible. And these are the spiritual blessings that we have. And these are the high point of all God's blessings. Because the best God has to give is him. The good news of Christianity is not just that you can be saved from your sin. That's true, that's good. If you are exploring Jesus, you need to know that. It's what you most need. But what makes Christianity really good is that God gives us him. We're saved from sin to be his people and to have a relationship with God. And that stops us being dissatisfied with God. I think one reason that we are is that we don't appreciate what we have. We want more. We want different. But God gave us his best. God gave us actually better than we even knew to ask for. I picture a kid. Maybe this is you as a kid. It's their birthday soon. And they walk into school and they see this stuffed dog in the window of a shop. And they walk past this shop every day on the way to school dreaming about how amazing it would be to have this stuffed dog as their own, to play with, to be their friend. And they ask their mom, can you get this for me for my birthday? And then on their birthday, they jump out of bed, they rush into their mom's room, find their mum to see, did you get it for me? And they discover that their mom has bought them a real dog. Their hope for someone to play with, to be their friend, has been massively topped by something so much better A little bit like that, God has given us better than we even knew to ask for. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's given us Him. And this helps us not to be dissatisfied when we see that God's given us His best. It helps us to to not be dissatisfied if we appreciate what we already have, that God's given a relationship with Him. And seeing that also will stop us from being disappointed if we don't get other blessings. God might give. Other blessings like health and wealth and happiness. God does, in fact, promise Christians health and wealth and happiness. The prosperity gospel has got a bit of truth to it. These are promises that God makes to Christians. But the prosperity gospel gets wrong the timing. These are things God promises us in the new creation, not now, not necessarily right now. And the prosperity gospel also gets wrong how to get God's blessings. It's not by treating God like a pinata, where if you hit him with enough faith and enough prayer, you'll get what you want from him. It's by trusting Jesus to get every spiritual blessing. That's how you get it. This is how this will stop us from being disappointed if we can clearly see what God's actually promised us. And if you don't see that, that is the cause of so much disappointment. There's a church in Australia, I won't name it. There's a church in Australia that churns through members. Uh, people join this church, open to what God might do, excited about what God might do for them, and they expect God to be generous and not stingy. And I think I can learn from that because uh, sometimes I don't ask God for gifts and blessings because deep down I believe that God is stingy. And sometimes I don't ask God for blessings and gifts to avoid disappointment. You know, if I never ask for it, I'm not disappointed if I don't get it. That's a good thing about this church. But then in this church, Christians are promised many things that God never promises in the Bible. And if God doesn't deliver on them for you in this church, they're told that the problem is you. You don't have enough faith. You're not obeying enough. And so people leave this church in waves, disappointed in God and doubting that God is good because he never gave what he never promised to give. It's painful when that happens. God doesn't promise to give us every physical blessing in this life. This is a big difference between us and ancient Israel. Their promises were physical and they were now in the promised land. Our promises are spiritual and the other promises are then in heaven. I mean, not that we can't pretend that we don't also have so many physical blessings in this country. But to save us from being disappointed in God, we need to see that God doesn't have to give us gifts. It's his choice to give us gifts. A roof of your house is a gift from God. A spouse or a partner is a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. Health is a gift from God. An enjoyable job is a gift from God. Any job is a gift from God. And you can ask God to give you anything. He's a good father who loves us. But he doesn't have to give it to us and he doesn't promise to give it to us. And it is really painful when he doesn't because his gifts are so good. That's what makes it so painful. But I think what will help us not to be disappointed is to see what he does promise us. To see that he's given us his best. To see that Jesus was cursed to give us his best. There's one more big difference between us and ancient Israel. Is that we're not cursed if we disobey God. Uh, We saw in Deuteronomy that God disciplines us for our good to grow us. He doesn't punish us. He doesn't punish us because that wouldn't be fair. It would be unfair to be punished twice for the same thing. Uh, So imagine tomorrow you're driving out, you've got a work car, you're driving in your work car, you damage it on the way to work, and your boss says, I'm going to take the cost of the damage out of your paycheck one month takes it out of your paycheck one month, it would be unfair if they took it out of your paycheck the next month. You've already been punished once. You've already paid once. Our sins and our disobedience have been punished once. Jesus took the curse for us. God's not going to punish our sins again. They've already been punished and paid for. Carefully understanding God's promises will help us avoid those three Ds. It'll help us avoid being dissatisfied so that we can be satisfied in God instead, it help us not to be disappointed if God chooses not to give us something that he 's never promised to give us, and it help us to be grateful to God, not disrespectful, of our God who is so good to us god 's actually been teaching me about this over the last few years of my life um, i 've had a few episodes of clinical depression across my life, and I've got to say about episodes of depression worst episode ever Depression is awful, depression is horrible. Uh, Each depression is slightly different, so if you've experienced it or if you're caring for someone who's experienced it, best to ask them what it's like for them. Uh, But for me, depression didn't take away my gifts, it took away my enjoyment of God's gifts, uh, so at my lowest points, I didn't enjoy almost anything. Um, I love watching sport. I love playing sport. Didn't enjoy it. Love watching shows on TV. Didn't enjoy it. Uh, I'd go to a party with my closest friends and it would be like I was on the outside looking in at all these people having fun. I'd play with my kids and they'd be laughing and having a blast and I'd be feeling numb or black or sad. Uh, I'd spend money eating delicious food and it would taste like ash in my mouth uh, I'm not there now. This is where I have been. Uh, it's been a few years. Praise God for medicine and psychologists and Christians to support you and pray with you. Um, I think I've had 21 sessions with psychologists, and all of them have been helpful. Praise God for them. But at my lowest points, actually, let me say, I think every human would benefit from three sessions with a psychologist. I think every human would benefit. There's all this like taboo about depression and mental health and all that sort of stuff. Um, But we don't look at someone who's got a broken arm. I didn't script any of this. I'm just making this up. We don't look at someone who's got a broken arm and be like, oh man, they must be a really weak person who have broken their arm. That's not how it works for that kind of illness or sickness. We don't look at someone with cancer and say that. Why would we say it with mental health? Uh, Anyway, at my lowest points though, when I was feeling that way, when I was experiencing this, I felt deeply disappointed in God. Deeply disappointed and angry with God because he didn't deliver on his promises. And it pushed me back to the Bible to check what did God actually promise me and to appreciate the spiritual blessings I had and the curse that Jesus took to give them. And it also led me to enjoy God more. The only place I could find rest and peace and hope and happiness was God. Not all the places that I normally turned. I found a deeper satisfaction in God than I'd ever had before, in a way I'd never had before. I remember in twenty thirteen, it was New Year's Eve, and I was studying at Bible College, I was at living at Parramatta, and I was at Parramatta River in this massive crowd of people celebrating the start of the new year. They were all cheering to the fireworks. I had tears streaming down my face, and I was praying to God and I was saying to God, That was the hardest four months of my life. That was so painful. But you know what? I love you more now, so it was worth it. Can we just not do it again anytime soon? (laughs) Now that God's given me back my enjoyment of His good gifts, you know what? I can take or leave those gifts. I am really happy to enjoy an amazing meal as a great gift from God, but I'm just as happy if I don't get it, because God is enough. I'm really happy to enjoy some deep connections with great friends and family, but I'm just as happy if I don't get it because God is enough. I have God's best. I've got Him. How about we pray and give thanks to God that this is the kind of God we serve. Father God, we thank you so much for how generous you are to us. Thank you that you even use difficulties and moments where you don't give us gifts to help us see how good you are. We pray that forever, for the rest of our lives and into eternity, we would give you thanks and show you the respect and the gratefulness that you deserve. Amen.